This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you are poets? You are a, you're a poet. You just love poetry. Okay, so if you look around the room, this is kind of what I thought would be the case. I counted zero hands. So that puts us all on the same page as we're reading the Psalms, which is a whole lot of poetry. We have zero poets in the house. Now, I also assume for most of you, your exposure to poetry is probably more like this. Roses are red, violets are blue, and then whatever rhyme you came up with that you would do on that day, because there's like dozens of different versions of where you can go with that. Like, that's kind of where we're starting from. So we're starting from a roses, red, violet, blue kind of poetry background, and here we are reading 150 poems for some of us, uh, either in one week or just a few short weeks. Because our journey through the scriptures has brought us to the Psalter. Uh, as we were looking in Bible class this morning, just before the service, there are five different books uh, in the Psalter. So the 150 books are broken down into five different settings, uh, and, and they're grouped together, uh, some by author, some by time period. Uh, but you see in your reading, you can go from one of exaltation to one of almost uh, extreme fear and torture and internal turmoil and lament very, very quickly. So sadly, uh, our exposure to the Psalms uh, is more often than not, it's in, the, it's in the middle. So if you open the Bible, many times you'll open it, you say, oh, the Psalms. You probably know the Psalm 23, because it's spoken at many funerals you've been to, so you've got that exposure. Or you have a copy of the New Testament that you grew up with, and it just had the Psalms in the back. We looked at that a little in Bible class as well, but I wanted to reiterate this so everyone hears it. One of the challenges of just having the Psalms be just at the tail end of New Testaments is that we just say, oh, that's all we need out of the old. Or we just need Psalms and Proverbs. So we've read from Genesis, you know you need the entire context. And the Psalms need their context too. And that's what I hope we get to do this morning. We have also not just been reading the entirety, I've offered some focus readings. Some of you throughout this past week maybe just read the focus readings. As you read Psalm 2, 22, 110, we're going to look to see what is it that God is actually doing in those places. Because for some of you, you read the Psalms this week and you said, I can't read this. It doesn't make sense. And I'm assuming now since I've seen your show of hands, I didn't like poetry to begin with, Pastor, and you asked me to read dozens of poems. The last time I read a poem was when I was forced to in college or when I was forced to in high school. That was it, and then I shut it down. So you didn't get the advantage. I read the focused route. Well, whether you read focused or read the entirety, the time period of the writing takes from about the 11th century, some could have been a little earlier, to the 6th century B.C. So we've got hundreds of years of history that is encompassed in this. And Psalm 2 uh, actually starts near the beginning of the Psalter. Uh, and as we go there, we actually get in Acts. Now, you can stay there in Psalms, it's just fine, but I want to share with you, we're going to bounce back and forth from Old to New Testament so you can see the Psalter is fulfilled in the New Testament, that we see together the strength of what's happening. So Psalm 2 gets illuminated to us in Acts 4. So Acts 4.25 writes, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit... Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? In Acts 4.25, we get the Holy Spirit told David to write this. 
and the Holy Spirit led him to do it, and it is a direct quote from Psalm 2. Here's Psalm 2, the first two verses. I'm just going to read them. I'm not going to display it. The first two verses write, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. What I want you to see as we start this morning is rather than being disconnected poetry from your life, the Psalter is actually a dynamic connection from promise of Messiah to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And you don't see the joy of the Psalms unless you see what's happening. But this is going to be, it's going to be a struggle. Because I saw from all of you, you don't like poems. So for me to convince you that poems are important and that they're a connective bridge, I'm going to have to take you a couple times through this. Because the truth is, most of you would say, let's get past the poems and get back to the narrative. Because narrative, I understand. Narrative, I can, I, I, can, I can see that. Like for some of you, the best that we've read so far are accounts like the Exodus. Because one event happened, and then the next, and then the next, and it made a progressive sense. But that's not what you're experiencing in the Psalms, right? Because you were happy, and then you were sad. And then everyone was really good, and then you weren't. And then you thought God was the enemy, and then you thought God was the friend, depending on the, the disposition of the poet writing at that time as God led them. So as we continue forward, Acts 4 gives us and illuminates Jesus is a teacher, but King David is also a person who is pointing us in a greater direction of what God's plan of salvation is doing. Here's again Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? You could speak that in 2019 and think you were talking about the news from Saturday, from Friday, from Thursday. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? And yet that was written millennia ago. See, the Psalter also pulls us out of just kind of where we're trapped and helps us see the bigger picture. It helps draw us to another place. Now, I'm going to dig you a little bit deeper as we go forward. And we're going to go now into Psalm 22. So if you want to turn there, go to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, we read a few weeks ago. Uh, We read it in its entirety, not only this morning, but some of you might be like, didn't we just read this? Well, I hope you did think that because it reminded you that we read it on Good Friday, yeah. See, this is the text that comes up each Good Friday. Psalm 22, because of its connections, as it's spoken by our Lord from the cross. Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Jesus himself utters this from the cross. So here we are now trying to connect what is the psalmist doing? Well, the psalmist is actually taking us on two different levels. Because on one level, Psalm 22 would have talked about anyone who was in turmoil and in strife in that day. Why has God forsaken you? If you've ever been in pain, if you've ever been suffering, aching, hurting, you could have said those words. God, why are you not with me now? It happens on so many fronts. But there's two levels of fulfillments. We hear this in two places. Matthew 27, 46, and also in Mark 15, 34 is where Jesus quotes this. So Matthew 27, 46 and Mark 15, 34, quote Psalm 22, because Jesus wanted you to read the Psalter. The fact that from the cross, he actually is quoting the Psalms tells you something about them. Jesus was a man who knew the scriptures, so much so that he wanted in everything he did that people would understand, if you want to know me, know what speaks of me, and the scriptures speak of Jesus or maybe perhaps better said, speak of Messiah, speak of Christ again and again and again. You can't have one without the other. 
You can't have just New Testament Jesus on the cross without Old Testament letting you know what's going to happen. Or you could have it, but you'd be missing out on the depth of the story. Uh, it's like going uh, to your school that's been around for 100 or 150 years and you don't know any of its history. That's sad. You can say, oh, it was a great alma mater, and then someone tells you, yeah, but you know how we got our name? No. And then you hear how the name comes about, and you go, whoa, that is so deep. I had no idea. <laughs> and the person who tells it to you goes, it was the name of the institution. You never thought to ask what the name of the institution meant. No, I just wrote all the checks to it and never, never thought I should find out. Jesus is inviting you in. I mean, think about that. From the cross, he cries out. He's telling you, read Psalm 22. You want to know what's happening? Read the Psalter. This is Psalm 22, 14 to 18. I just want you to, to hear it. I'm not going to display it so you can hear more of the depth of that psalm we read again this morning. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shard. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of the earth, in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my loathing, they cast lots. You see, when you hear those sections of Psalm 22 laid up against what you know of Easter... When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, read the book. And the moment you read 22, he goes, he knew everything centuries before. He knew that he'd hang there. He knew his hands would be pierced. He knew not a single one of his bones would be broken. He knew they would tear his garments apart and they'd cast lots for them. So rather than rip them, they wanted to cast lots, decide who's going to get what Jesus wore. And do you ever consider that? There is someone who was cast they were actually engaging in a game of chance to decide who would get the lord's clothes and we don't spend much on time on those pieces but the depths to which god went jesus wanted to say here's a doorway find out i knew all this was going to happen and i still willingly went there <laughs> the tough part for us as christians though is well he did it in psalm 22 and that's poetry and as an account of what i saw this morning most of us don't do much with what we don't do much with poetry. So if we don't do much with it, we just kind of leave it on and we say, well, pastor quoted one verse, so that, that's good for me. See, that's why this week we got to dig deeper and find out what's happening. It so closely mirrors Jesus' suffering in Psalm 22 that it starts to tell you the Lord doesn't want to keep things from you. See, the greatest secrets the Lord has ever given you are actually where? They're wide open. It's the open secret. What does Jesus want in my life? It's right here. God desires that you would know that he will never forsake you. He will never let you down, ever. And he will love you until the day you die so that he might welcome you into the house of heaven on the day when he comes in his full glory. And people wonder, what's God up to? Restoration, that's what God's up to. God's up to drawing people back and healing. Psalm 110. So 22 gives us the account of everything that's kind of broken about the crucifixion. And Jesus calls that out. Psalm 110 is another interesting insight. So three psalms we looked at. Psalm 2 that just gives us this setting that there's more than just King David. Psalm 22 that Jesus reminds us that the plan of his crucifixion had been set millennia in advance. 
And Jesus came to earth knowing it. You wonder why from the garden he actually said what? If there be another way. Because he knew. He knew what was coming his way. He said, but Father, your will, not mine. And indeed he followed. But Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord. Now this one's a little bit more interesting. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord says to my Lord. Now Psalm 110 is actually another psalm of David. So what's interesting here, it's King David saying that the one who follows him is his Lord. Now, since we live in a nation that doesn't actually deal with kings uh, anymore, the last time we dealt with a king, we did what? Yeah, we rebelled, which is somewhat fitting, is it not, that we're talking about kings? Because the last time Israel had a king, they did what as well? They, they rebelled. Remember, this was their whole problem with kings. So the last time we had it, we had uh, the kings of Great Britain and others, and we decided to get away. So here you have King David, though, and King David's talking about, the Lord said to my Lord. David's saying the one coming after, there's another Lord. He's pointing to the one who's going to come after and saying that's more important. Kings don't do this. Kings don't normally look at someone who's going to come in the generation after them and say, you're in control. Kings are known for doing what? Being in control, ruling, reigning. Uh, in English, we don't use the term kinging. This is what I remind confirmation students all the time about God's kingdom. Kings don't king, they rule or reign. So when we talk about God's kingdom, and he says God's coming, his advancing kingdom, it's you seeing his rule and his advancing reign. In Psalm 110, David's giving you insight. There's someone coming after who's in control. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's not a real good picture of enemies, if you kind of think through it. For your enemies to be made into a footstool. It can get pretty dark if you really start thinking through it. Or you could just keep it you know, nice and they're just kneeling over. And you just have your feet rested on them uh, like a nice little stool at the foot of your sofa. Or it could be that that enemy has completely turned themselves into a footstool. They are slain on the ground and you are walking on top of them and your feet rest there because they will do no more. But David's speaking about someone who's coming after him. Now, this is a, a challenging text, but we have a neat thing. Where did we say the greatest answers come from? Right here. So if we are true to our form as we walk through all of the Scriptures and we say that Scripture interprets Scripture, one of the fundamental principles of how we've gone about our journey together, then I want to take you to Matthew 22. So I'm going to leap you from Psalm 110 to help illuminate that passage. Where some of you are going, where does it say, how did you get that, Pastor? He said to them, Jesus speaking, how is it then that David, in the Spirit, again, second attestation now that we've got this reminder, Acts 4 told us that it was someone being led by the Spirit. Now you've got Jesus saying as well that the psalmist in 110 is led by the Spirit. He said to them, how is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your foot. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one is able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. See, this account comes from uh, the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests who continue to, they just want to trip Jesus up. And Jesus quotes to them Psalm 110 and goes, all right, so if you've got all this figured out, how is it that David says the one coming after is his Lord? But that David could still be his son. David declares himself to be a son of the one who's coming after him as a Lord. Jesus is using this text to say, because the one who came after David, the Messiah, the Christ, 
is Lord of all the earth, Lord of all creation, king of all things, a king of which David himself would have bowed down at his feet. And because of that, David is adopted as his son, that David is a son under the Christ, the one who you know as Jesus. You see, that interpretive key changes everything. When you realize that Jesus is the center point of the Psalms, when he's the center point of everything that's happening in the narrative, it all starts to open up. The veil that was over your eyes starts to come down. It's not all gone. Some of you are going, Pastor, you answered a couple things this morning, but there's a whole lot more that I got questions about in the Psalter. There's a whole lot more that I don't see. I know. But God in his divine wisdom has decided that we don't know everything, but we know what we need. John 20, our gospel reading for today, that follows up on that resurrection text, that these things are written that you might believe Jesus is the Christ, and that by believing in him, you would have life in his name. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God does not tell you what shoes to buy. He does not tell you what school to go to. He does not tell you what company to be hired by. He does not tell you whether to start a company or to stop a company. But he gives you a lot of instruction about how it is that you live life with others that could help you make a decision on all of those things. But he's not going to lay it all out for you. You're not going to read Psalm 110 and say, ha-ha, it tells me what company is the best company in the world. It won't. But it will tell you who is the best company to keep in the world. That you must always keep God at your right and at your left. God is ever before you and behind you. He is not only your, your vanguard, he is your rear guard. Even though you thought he was not, he has always been there. That's what's amazing about the Psalter. The God who you thought was gone was always protecting you. The God who you thought wasn't there was ever present. The God who the world thought gave up on the cross was actually giving up. Giving up himself on the cross for you. So that every knee would bow in the presence of God. And just as Psalm 145 says these words, they shall speak of the might and your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. You see, that's what the Psalter does for us. It reminds us that God's done great things. And may we actually speak of them. One of the greatest disservices that you can do to great writing is never, ever read it. One of the greatest disservices you can do to great writing is never, ever speaking of it. Just because you don't understand something doesn't mean it's not worth studying. How many of you ever said this? And I, I don't think we have a math teacher in the room. Did any of you ever say this in school? When will I ever use this? Come on. Yeah. No, we do. I'm sorry, Mel. We do have a math teacher. That's right. Mel's like, of course, I would never say such a thing. Yeah. Yeah, you sit there going, all the time. All the time you'll use it. Math is everywhere. How many of you use the brakes in your car today? Thank a mathematician. Because they made sure that when you hit that pedal, that the force of friction that those brakes actually use, that they worked. That was all calculated. They used it. Uh, unfortunately, I had a few teachers that I don't think were as ready to answer that as they should have been. Because they did the unfortunate thing. I don't know. All the time. When will I use the Psalter, Pastor? Why do I need to know these psalms? Anyone have a bummer of a day? That's when you'll use it. 
And everyone would get really excited and you didn't have the words to say how happy you were? Use the Psalter. Use Psalm 150. Use Psalm 146. You see, the Psalter gives life to the things that you don't have words for. When you say, when will I use it? All the time. Jesus used the Psalter again and again and again. He used the Psalter to push back Satan when he is tempted. He uses the Psalter from the cross to remind us of everything that he's doing, that it was already planned. The Psalter is a vanguard and rear guard for you as a Christian. It is something to give you strength when you are weak because it reminds you that God has already been every place that you are. He's been there. You are an Easter people. You are a people who actually bask in the glory of resurrection. The sad part is we forget it. See, we're seven days away from Easter, and some of us are like, oh, man, Easter's over. That's why we have church every seven days, believe it or not, to be reminded that Easter isn't over. Easter is speaking to you again today. And as Easter speaks to you, the psalmist says, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, not Mike Merker's awesome deeds, not anyone else's awesome deeds, the Christ's awesome deeds, the Christ who died and rose, is risen, and ascended to the Father. So may God enable each and every one of you this day to speak of his awesome greatness, to realize that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.